Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA podcast. This week on the show, we're talking about why you should enjoy studying, as hard as that may sound, and why you need to keep in mind each week you sit down to do your work. We also look at news stories, including why levies may be placed more heavily on shorter flights and the huge French investment for tech startups. Before we get to this week's student questions, I'm Connor and I'm joined today by Alan. Hello, everybody. So I think this might be our first podcast where people listen out of spite when they yeah. see enjoy and studying and what we're we're trying to get at here. But um, I suppose, firstly, do you think there is a path to how you can enjoy study? Do you enjoy studying? I know you're doing a bit at the moment. Yeah, I, I, it's a, it's a funny thing because what I don't enjoy is the thoughts of it. But I think when the only way to really learn properly is actually when you're into it, actually enjoying it as much as you can. And I think, I think for a lot of people, the reason why they don't study is they don't enjoy the thought of it. Mm. But there is something really positive about sitting there and and reading or doing questions and learning from something, learning something you know you you didn't know or getting better at something. And I know personally, I get a little bit of a a kick out of kind of doing a question and then when I compare it to the answer, that's the closest I've ever gotten. I feel like I'm really making progress. That was a really useful hour or yeah. two. I think people guess you can kind of lose focus and people are only thinking about the exams and you either pass or fail the exams and you you don't really see any benefit to the study other yeah. than that. I, I think it's really a, a mindset thing and you're it's a very long road, particularly if you've multiple exams, if you have a negative mindset to you know, sitting down to study and, and you're, you don't see any benefit to what you're doing in that moment. You're only thinking about exams and exam results. So I think you really have to change that mindset and look at the kind of small wins you're getting each day. And that's that you're, you're constantly upskilling that it's, yeah. you know, and there needs to be a pride in that, that every day that you sit down and every question you do and every new topic you look at, that's, you know, you're upskilling. That's what we, we have to do with CPD when you qualify is, oh, yeah. you know, you're you're learning new things. So I think, you know, you enjoy it if you can bring that pride into it, that you're enhancing your career every time you sit down. And that's what it, it is enhancing your career, because if you think, uh, I don't know, let's say I do something on um, some HR people management or something today um, and I go into work tomorrow and there's a meeting with your boss or there's a meeting with staff and they're looking for suggestions and you you can kind of come, oh, we can do this or we can do that based on what you've learned. Your employer isn't saying, aren't they great doing their ACCA exams? Your employer is saying, oh, this person is constantly learning. Yeah. And not only they're learning, they're able to contribute their knowledge because a lot of people kind of go into work and they see what they're studying and what their job is as two different things yeah. and that there's no relationship between um, between the study and the job. But like if you can show your employer that you're able to apply the knowledge and that it's not just about passing the exams, that you're actually becoming, um, you mentioned upskills, a more skilled person. Um, not only are you going to be more appreciated and hopefully that will lead to all the things like more money and, and better positions and all those type of things, but it's going to be, um, you're just going to show your value and show your worth. And it's, that light bulb moment going off because everybody's kind of a lot of people are probably listening to this and that, that never happens. But it's that light bulb moment going off. It just has to happen once and you realize that it really is invaluable. And like that that splitting of studying and working 
as if to say there's nothing I'm learning when I'm studying that's beneficial to my job. Yeah. I think if you can kind of enjoy it and embrace it and see it as an extension to your job and your career as opposed to a chore of studying, I think it'd be much more beneficial. Yeah, and I think I think that light bulb moment you talked about, that often comes to people after they finish exams and start working and they kind of look back on everything they learned. And it's not just the the topics you're studying, the material. Like I have never been asked in a job or a job interview what results I got in my exams. But if you're asked to show, you know, and a lot of these words we use about, you know, discipline, commitment, time yeah. management, project management, even because, you know, your study, your 12 week study is managing a project. All of these things that you don't even realize at the moment you are learning, you're preparing, you're building that into your character that, you know, you'll have that light bulb moment when you're working and thinking, well, the reason I'm not getting stressed with this project that I have to do over 12 weeks is because I've done this 11 times with different yeah. subjects. So it's it's all these things that, um, you know, each day you're actually training yourself and you're building in and that's what you're going to be asked about in interviews. That's what, you know, your your employers or your boss is looking for, someone who has all those skills from doing something like the ACCA. And we've been bringing up this word resilience lately and talking about how you need resilience um, to do well in professional exams such as ACCA. Um, but you also need that same resilience, as you said, when you're doing projects in your job or, or work in your job. Um, without that kind of that building up resilience. So it's it's all of these skills you're getting that aren't examined. As yeah. you said, it's project management, it's resilience, it's being able to do things to a tight deadline, it's being able to positively contribute. These are things that you don't get marked for necessarily in ACCA, but there's a reason why you need three years work experience at the because all of these skills are being built up now and you will build up more skills if you're positive towards it. So if you just yeah. say, to hell with it all, I'm going to try and enjoy it as much as possible. We're not expecting people to be dancing around their rooms <laughs> um, saying, woohoo, I'm studying. It's not about that. It's more to do with like positively embracing it. And if you enjoy your study, the exams will be easier. Yeah. Your job will be easier. Your life will be a lot easier. And I think it's that idea of enjoying the, the challenge of it as well. There's no, you know, there's no denying that it is a challenge and that can sometimes lead to, to people feeling a little stressed. But I think enjoying that challenge, it's the same like we always talk about you know, building towards a marathon, you know, there's going to be a lot of pain running that marathon. I know you've run, ran yeah. a marathon, but it's the, the challenge, it's building, and then it's succeeding after that. And if you can build that into your study of, you know, a kind of competitive edge, even when you're doing questions and enjoying that you're doing better in that question than you did last time, or, you know, we've lots of MCQ tests, CBE tests, multiple choice that, you know, set yourself a goal that I need to get, you know, all of these correct and then I'm going to take a break or something like that. You, you build that kind of competitive gaming edge yeah. into it and that, that makes it enjoyable. Then you, you get that kind of competitive streak with your study. Well, if you listen to any interview with most um, professional sports people and nearly anyone I've ever listened to, they've always been the same. doesn't matter what discipline, um, male or female, it makes no difference. Always, a lot of them will say, I've never actually heard somebody say, I hate training. And all say they love training. Yeah. They love getting up in the morning. They love doing the training. They love improving. And that's why they're the top sports people. You don't just turn up. Usain Bolt just didn't turn up and win 100 meter races. Mm. He spent hours and hours um, training and perfecting form and making slight 
slight changes that you could barely notice to get that 0.001 of yeah. a second. And everybody would embrace that. And the training is hard. Like it took him less than 10 seconds to run 100 meters. He could be training for hours and hours and days on end. And mm. um, people like Mo Farah in men- running around me- up and down mountains for months before they can do a 10,000 meter race in the Olympics. But they all embrace it because if they said, oh, here's another day training. I hate training. Training's not for me. I shouldn't do training. Maybe I could take a shortcut. Maybe I don't have to train as yeah. much as other people. They are not going to be standing on top of the podium. In yeah, the and I games. think you see that other side a lot, particularly with people who've had huge success and then, you know, that falls away. A lot of the time they said, I lost sight of the training. Yes. I got to strike, you know, particularly you see with boxers when they're building up to a fight, they, you know, they suddenly say, well, I, I wasn't working as hard or I, yeah, I lost sight of what I needed to do to be ready for that. And you kind of cut corners and you're maybe not going to your full capacity. So, And you do get, they do get caught out in the you end. Do, yeah, yeah. And ACCA exams are the same. Maybe in the earlier stages, if you're doing applied skills, you might be getting those 51 and 52s and feel like you're kind of getting away with it. Yeah. But eventually, as you go up to a higher level, the level expected and and nearly the competition and the quality of other students who are making those efforts is what leads to getting below 50%. So you kind of, it, it's, it's nearly, you have to enjoy, you have to enjoy the study and you have to embrace it. Yeah. Um, and mindset is, and like every sports person, every business person, anybody who's reached a high level in any industry they've ever worked in will all tell you it's to do it mindset. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think having that mindset, and I think it's it's a combination of things. You know, particularly with something like study, it's enjoying the small wins, but also not losing sight of the bigger picture. I think if you continuously have that, and you can, you know, build that in, it means that you're not getting completely bogged down in one aspect of it or in one result. Um, but yeah, I think if you, as you said, if you can get that mindset, you won't even notice that you're studying. It's still, you know, there's no denying it's hard work. You're not going to enjoy it every day. We're not trying to disillusion or, you know, we've both done exams. I know that. But it, if you have that mindset, it'll make your whole journey a lot easier. If you're enjoying listening to the Forget the Numbers podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate us on your podcast provider. So we had a news story before about um, an interesting tax initiative. One country was looking at cutting income tax for young workers to keep them in the country. So this is similar. It's another um, interesting potential tax initiative, but more from an environmental point of view. So rather than taxing flights based on ticket class or the relative distance, many are calling for putting heavier levies on shorter flights to encourage more carbon efficient methods of travel. Um, this would mean that trains, buses and shared cars would become more competitive um, and reduce the carbon footprint. I know that Germany's Conservative um, Party have proposed doubling taxes on domestic flights in a bid to cut emissions. And I think they see short flights as the natural way to do this because realistically people aren't going to sacrifice long haul flights. Um, it's just not realistic. So this is, I suppose, a way that cutting emissions in the airline industry could actually become a, a practical um, initiative. Do you see that? Not for the airline industry. Not for the airlines. For governments to, I suppose, get a handle on that. I think the only thing is that it, it kind of, it, it ha- it's such a huge problem now. It has to be done on a, on a somewhat global scale. 
And then you look at us sitting in Ireland and if you think that we have to travel anywhere, like we're in a small island and and yes, we can get on a boat, but and but obviously the speed of a plane is a lot quicker. Yeah. (laughs) And I couldn't imagine us heading over to the ACCA office in London by getting a boat and driving down and then staying for a two-hour meeting no. and getting a boat Although and driving I've, back. One of the points that they raised, I think this was an article in, um, I think it was in Bloomberg, but was that there's actually a lot of um, kind of in European cities, a lot of journeys that are shorter by train, yeah. um, but the, the, the airlines are competing on price. Yeah. And I think they're trying to... Um, you know, push push that price for certain, particularly domestic or or even kind of just short cross border flights. Oh yeah, anybody um, who's been on railways in, yeah. in Europe, um, they're great. Like when you're because it's such a, a big connected landmass, they're getting train journeys. And I know some people who would always go by train just because they have a preference for it. And there's always like people go, oh well, even if a train takes a little bit longer. Every underestimates the hour of security oh, yeah, and the other yeah. hour waiting for your bag on the other side of it. Yeah. It's not just, I think you've always had two hours to your flight, no matter where you're going to. And I think people say, oh, it's a 50 minute flight. And then they're the same people who are complaining when they're in the long security queue. Yeah, Why yeah. does this take so long for a 50 minute yeah. flight? But I think it's a, it's a great initiative. I think every little thing like that could be done. Yeah. And I think what we're kind of seeing is that governments do need to intervene with these things as much as a company can say we're doing everything you know if you're a low-cost airline provider yeah that that's not in your interest um so i think a lot of companies now some are going out but a lot do the you know the things that suit them which is natural when they're trying to be a competitive business but maybe that's when you do need governments coming stepping in with things and with kind of i suppose a different outlook on how you can actually force businesses to work but it's but it's just innovation yeah and like this in sometimes innovation is driven by new technology such as the wright brothers developing the plane and now you look at where planes are now and sometimes innovation is because of environmental factors and obviously we have the biggest environmental factor now and it's not about kind of sitting there complaining about the fact that things are changing, what governments are doing. It's up to different industries to innovate. And yeah. I know there are test flights for kind of um, battery powered planes and, and that does sound a little bit, it's not, a great, it's not a great flyer. I'm not too sure I'll be first on that flight. I'll have to make sure it works for a while. But, it's well charged. Yeah, but there's a, it'd be a weird thing going in and somebody plugging in your plane yeah, in yeah. order to get it ready and there's no big kind of fuel pipes and stuff. It'd be really weird. But, at the same time, it is, um, it's a really worthwhile thing to do. Um, but again, it's innovation. Yeah. And the more governments push this, the more the industries will invest in innovation. And I, and I don't think, I'm not too sure that the this world will continue without kind of lots of planes flying in the air. Uh, but I think there could be less and I think there could be more better ways for the environment yeah. for those to continue. And I certainly think it's stuff like this that pushes those companies, as you yeah. said, out of their comfort zone and pushes that innovation, which can what, only be a good thing. You look what Learn Signal have done with the types of, well, I guess, even having this podcast, but the way we teach and effect, and the prices we charge and the innovation we've brought to ACCA with boot camp and crash camp and stuff that um, so far nobody seems to have failed to follow, <laughs> yeah. and, and although they have tried, but... That that's the type of thing, and and hopefully 
it's the students will benefit. And on a much broader scale, it's the whole world that will benefit from the environmental fix. So um, I, I embrace it and I think it's a great idea. Okay, so our, our next story um, comes from France, where French President Macron has announced a 5 billion euro investment boost for tech startups in a push for France to become a more competitive tech hub. So I think they have cited an issue. There's a lack of growth capital to actually help startups expand into billion dollar companies. And mm. um, they've drummed up this kind of investment from different institutional investors to pour into these tech companies over the next three years. Uh, with the idea of growing more billion euro startups, which are called unicorns, which I've learned yes. over the last while, kind of on this podcast. So they have, have an aim of having 25 unicorns, 25 um, billion euro startups by 2025. Um, so, you know, is this, obviously France are taking a huge homegrown look of trying to boost their tech industry. D- does Do countries need to have their homegrown tech industry to, to survive now on a global scale? Well, I think because it's so... Um because it is so global and as a tech company, um, you should be able to kind of go through borders pretty easily. Um, it's a real way of generating jobs because we've talked about stories about AI recently mm. and manufacturing and um, people aren't designing kind of machinery for manufacturing to be more people heavy. Yeah. yeah. So so I think a tech startup has to, when you're looking at employment levels, um, Te- like funny enough people see tech as like lots of technology but there's also a lot of people required to code and run and market and stuff still behind the scenes and and te- tech tech companies are big people companies yeah. as well um and i think it's all oh they're tech companies they don't need people but it's the opposite it's actually they're very people heavy and i guess technology is something that you constantly improve so does a, a really good company has a um a long could potentially have a long future, but I also think that like we have people in Ireland, we've Enterprise Ireland and we've digital hubs and every yeah. con- and the same thing. Um, and you look at some of the companies that they fund, and you kind of go, oh wow, is that you really think that's not even a that's not even a baby <laughs> unicorn? <That's> a, yeah. <laughs> and, and and I think it's 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 not just throwing money at the problem; it's having the expertise. Yeah. Um, to be able to identify these are good companies, they're worth investing in, they have longevity, they'll provide jobs, they'll improve the economy. Yeah. And any of those huge companies were startups at some point. And I know you always hear these stories of, you know, the people who identified the likes of Facebook and these things and how yeah. you actually can grow that into a kind of, you know, sustainable company that's going to last. Yeah. And, and But it's like saying anything, how many, how many unsuccessful attempts were yeah. there? Um, before startup, there'll be very few people. When I say the word Bebo, not many people will recognize the word <laughs> no. Bebo, probably including you. No, um, I, d- I remember but, the but, rise and fall. But, like these were like they disappeared overnight. They were yeah. they were revolutionary. Uh, Kevin, who's producing your show, is sitting here nodding. Uh, he's, <laughs> he he's, misses he's, it. He's, he's got a yeah. sad look in his eye. But, <laughs> Being like people, but like they were, that was revolutionary. Like people yeah. were able to share pictures across the globe. And Facebook came out and Bebo just died. Like, it was the quickest yeah. death well, you'll I, ever I see. I think the founder, I think he'd sold it for something like 850 million. I don't know why that figures. And, and then he bought it he again bought it for, back a million for a million. For a million, yeah. So it's, I think they're trying to see can they save it, but it is amazing how quick that can turn. I think the other interesting point on this is because we've definitely had stories recently 
to do with um, Francis dealing with the likes of Facebook and the other big companies mm. and them trying to bring in um, taxes for these because I think they were one of the countries which has strongly voiced that they don't feel they're getting their fair share from these. So it's interesting they're really trying to um, invest and get their own French well, companies. Nobody ever French claimed way of that. Doing it. Nobody ever claimed that any government was consistent in the way they thought. So I think, <laughs> I think there's one, um, like every government, there's one rule for companies outside of the country and one yeah. rule for companies inside the country. I think that's something. I think there's more um, possibility of fixing our climate problem than there is of getting <laughs> that out of government. Each week, at the end of the show, we answer questions sent in by our listeners. You can send your questions in by email to podcast at learnsignal.com or tweet us at LearnSignal. So, Connor, we're going to change it around this week, and I'm going to ask you the student question. Um, we did, uh, a lot of our students will realise that when they had their exam, they got a survey from us, and I know we're going to talk about this in future weeks, and we got lots of responses, and, and it's really good. We're starting to build up uh, an image, I guess, of students. Um, one of the things that popped up, and it comes as a question, um, 57% of students said they were prepared or extremely prepared um, going into their recent exam. And obviously 43% then said they weren't as prepared. And I guess a student, we get lots of student questions. Oh, I've got three weeks left. I've got five weeks left. Um, how do I feel prepared? So what do you recommend to kind of build a bit of confidence and, and to make sure that they are prepared? Yeah, I think, and this is something we got asked the whole time, that this thing of confidence. Um, the only way you can build that is giving yourself time and you know that and if you're listening to this now you have the benefit that you do have time before the exam but it's it's really difficult to get any um you know to build confidence if you're only studying for a few weeks because there'll be this unknown that you don't think you've covered you haven't done enough questions so as long as you have that unknown you're not going to feel confident but if you give yourself enough time to really absorb the knowledge and practice questions practice the same questions and you know really build up a picture of that subject and have tested yourself against it, I think you get that confidence. And that's something we have talked about before and we've seen a lot in the um, examiner reports is you need, you know, a large, at least over six weeks to really build that knowledge and understand the material. And once you develop an understanding, you're going to be so much more confident because then you're not looking to spot questions that are similar to ones you've done before, which you don't want to be doing. If you understand the material, you can adapt that to any question you see. So I really think it's giving yourself the time to absorb all the knowledge and, you know, build your confidence over time from doing questions. It circles back nicely to our to the theme of our earlier conversation about doing the training and, and putting the hours in at the beginning. Um, because no matter how much work you do in the two weeks before the exam, you're never going to feel confident they're prepared going into an exam if that's all you've done. Yeah. Um, that just doesn't... And I, I would be surprised if any of those 57% of people were what we'd nearly call the late panicker studies who yeah. kind of two to three weeks, weeks out from the exam said, oh, no, I'm going to take it seriously now. I would say very few of them. And I would say of the 50%, 7% of people, they probably started earlier. They probably had a plan. They probably followed it. You're never going to follow it perfectly because things are going to happen but they probably followed it quite well. And I guess that reward, and they're answering this question after they've done the exam. Yeah, so yeah. so it's not only how they felt going in, but it's still how they feel after the exam, which is yeah. which is the most important thing. So the fact that they 
not only said, like, it's one thing going into the exam saying, oh, I feel really confident. And then you see the exam paper and <laughs> yeah, pass yeah. away. But I think it's a pretty high number to not only think that going into the exam, but actually still believe it after your exam. It's a very, it's very positive. Yeah. And I think, th- so those people are coming out and they, looking back, are happy with their preparation for the, you know, around 40% who weren't too happy with the preparation the last time. You know, as long as you're learning from that going into this next sitting, that you know, that you'll you'll overcome that. But it, you really do have to learn from your preparation previously. And you fine-tune that. And that's the same with anything. You, you learn what works for you. Um, but, you know, we've looked at, we've asked similar questions sitting on sitting. And I think that percent is around, you know, a similar level. So it's it's really important for the people who did find themselves in that, um, that they didn't feel prepared that you're adapting your your preparation for the next sitting so that you are in that bracket when the next surveys come around. Okay, so we'll finish up there. Um, so thank you everyone for listening. Take on board what we said. Hopefully you can all find a way that you enjoy studying and you build that into your preparations for the next few weeks. So thank you for listening today and we'll see you again next week. Bye-bye everybody.